Hello, and welcome to Bostonian Rap. My name is Rachel Meiselman. You are, of course, listening to me on WBCA LP 102.9 FM Boston. This is Boston's community radio station. So what we're going to do is we're going to play a quick disclaimer, and then we're going to come back and we're going to go over the issues of the day. And (laughs) as usual, there are a great number of things to unpack. But first, that quick disclaimer. The following commentary does not necessarily reflect the views of the staff and management of WBCA or Boston Neighborhood Network. If you would like to express another opinion, you can address your comments to Boston Neighborhood Network, 3025 Washington Street, Boston, Massachusetts, 02119. To arrange a time for your own commentary, you can call WBCA at 617-708-3241, or you can email radio at bnntv.org. Okay, so let's get started. Again, my name is Rachel Meiselman, and you are listening to me on Bostonian Rap. We're playing on WBCALP 102.9 FM Boston. This is Boston's community radio station. So (laughs) I just, I don't even know where to begin. So a couple of weeks ago, let's try the beginning, right? So a couple of weeks ago, I was talking about I spent a lot of the show talking about Rayla Campbell, and the overall theme was is that if we, as Republicans, if the Massachusetts Republican Party is going to offer a viable alternative, if we are going to be truly a two-party state, then we have to be serious, Now, I'm not saying that there's no room for joking around. There's no room for some lighthearted moments. But the Massachusetts Republican Party is putting up candidates that, quite frankly, are not qualified. And so, of course, one of them is Rayla Campbell. And one of the reasons I think that she really... I mean, she kind of, if I can phrase it like this, disqualified herself. Uh, You know, as as I was speaking at length, you can't make a lurid claim and then be unprepared to back it up. You can't prove things after the fact. You make an assertion, you make an allegation because you have proof. Now... Could you be wrong? Uh, Absolutely, absolutely. But you at least have to have some basis upon which you're basing your belief that something happened or something is being done or someone said something or did something. And that's not what we've seen from Rayla Campbell. And there have been a number of statements that she's made. So, of course, starting with her her comment at the convention that, you know, teachers here in Massachusetts are telling five-year-olds, a five-year-old, 
you know, telling a five-year-old that he can perform a sex act on another five-year-old. And I mean, of course, that's really, it's more than just, I mean, beyond making a lurid claim and expressing it very crudely, um, she was actually really alleging a crime. And, you know, further lending to the overall lack of credibility of what she was saying is the fact that she never said anything about this before the convention. So here we have someone just making claims, alleging a crime, and all for attention. And, and quite honestly, on that alone, she shouldn't have gotten the nomination, really. And so, you know, for people who are following politics, we actually, Republicans, we don't have a full statewide slate. So there are six positions in all. There's governor, there's lieutenant governor, there's treasurer, there's auditor, there's secretary of state, and there's attorney general. And we don't have a candidate for treasurer, which I find absolutely outrageous. Um, but really, the way Rayla Campbell has carried herself and the things that she has been saying, the things that she's been doing, I mean, she's, she's not a serious candidate. In fact, she's no candidate at all. So it's as if we only have four candidates, really, um, for these statewide offices, you know, governor, lieutenant governor, auditor, and then attorney general. And, and that's sad because, you know, I'll continue to say that I do think that there is real room for Republican perspectives. And I think that people want to hear it. And it's, it's amazing to me and for me when I speak with my friends on the political left and they, even they express a desire to hear other perspectives. So the fact that we can't do that or that the, I should say the Massachusetts Republican Party, the current leadership, is not prepared to do that. I, I think that's I think that's a shame. I think it's I think it's a tragedy. It's it's, it's bordering on uh, a, a tragedy. It's it's almost a tragedy because you know we have a state where we have numerous institutions of higher learning here in Boston, as I, I like to say, we are an, we are very much an education-based economy. We have all kinds of research. Um, this Boston, Boston area is, is very much a fertile ground uh, for startups, for tech startups. And really, it, it, it rivals uh, Silicon Valley. It really does. In, in, in certain ways, in different respects, it's probably even more of an attractive place because I do think that it's probably a little bit cheaper, but not necessarily very much so. Um, but there, there are so many, again, um, 
universities, places of higher learning, and you have so many different people that come here and that are from here um, that revolve around these places of learning. And so you have all these great ideas and people always thinking and opining. And so that really gives rise uh, and makes for, uh, and I'll use the word again, fertile ground for, for all these startups. So it's, it's just, it's really sad then that if you look at our political framework, that it's, it's not at all varied. And we have to change that. We really, really do. And, you know, I, I hear the word rhino thrown around a lot. And I believe very much in, in choosing my words carefully. So whenever I am on Bostonian rap or anywhere for that matter, even if I'm just sending a simple text or email, I'm very careful about what, what I'm saying. I, I want to communicate clearly. I don't want the person or the people with whom I'm trying to connect I don't want there to be any kind of um, error. I don't want there to be any kind of miscommunication, misunderstanding. And so I always like to try to be very clear. And I, I just, I think that's, I think that's very important. And, and I think part of that is the idea that you use words not only carefully, but appropriately. And I think that when you use words kind of haphazardly, when you use words as exclamation points, when you use words to grab people's attention, that means your message is weak. That means that you really probably shouldn't be talking. And, and I'll tell you something else. When that does happen, then words lose, they eventually lose their, their potency. They become less, less powerful. And that's the last thing that we should be doing if we really truly want to communicate well. But as I said, a lot of people, they want to just be front and center and they want to be seen and they want to be heard so they don't necessarily want to say anything of value they just again they want to be heard um, but the reason why you know I say all that because in addition to not having a coherent message and not putting strong candidates forward the current leadership of the mass GOP and those those people that are aligned with the current leadership. They like to throw around the word rhino, uh, Republican in name only. And basically anyone is a rhino if he or she does not agree with Jim Lyons, who is the chair of the party. And I, 
I mean, I, I find this kind of incredible because, you know, being from Boston, unless there's a statewide race or you're having, you know, or it's a year where there are municipal elections, you know, whether it's uh, city council, mayor, or both, you literally don't have a choice. You don't, it's not a matter of, oh, well, I'll just have to hold my nose and vote for this one, or this one's the lesser of two evils. No, you literally don't have a choice because the ballot is blank. And so what I'm trying to say is that if someone is, in fact, a Republican, especially in this part of Massachusetts, here in Boston, it's because there is some affinity, <laughs> there is some rapport that someone, connection that someone has with the core values of the party. Because quite frankly, th there's, there's not another reason for it. Because again, they're, you know, candidates are not being put forward. So to call me or anybody else here a rhino just because our views diverge as to the best direction for the party, I mean, I, I find that <laughs> I find that reasonable. I find that outrageous. And I, and I quite frankly, I find it insulting. I do. You know, I, and I have to also say this, in complaining, I, of course, then have to maybe offer an alternative, right? Or maybe, maybe definitely. So, again, what I'm looking for is a coherent message. We, as a party, need to be proactive, not reactive. That's important. That's very important. And what that means is not responding to headlines, not responding to incidents. We have to be plugged into the community. We have to be there with the people. We have to know the issues so that we can get up and say, you know what, there is, there is an issue I see. It's going to become bigger, and we need to do something about it, and this is what we need to do. That, that's what we need to be doing. It's really that simple, and we need to be putting forth candidates who have experience that's relative to the office uh, for which they're running. They have to have a platform. They have to have a message. And they have to know how to campaign. They have to know how to go into the community. And it's funny because, you know, there are a lot of um, training, campaign schools that might take place on my side of the aisle, but they don't really do it's It's like, it's like people go and sit there for two hours, three hours, or maybe even a day, and they don't derive anything from it they don't n nothing changes and so i speak because it's very frustrating for me because i think that if we had other 
perspectives, and this is what I always say, this is what I've long been saying, then people, even elected officials who are not inclined to listen to others, even their own constituents, they would be forced to do so because people would have a choice. And so here's the part in the show where I, I, you know, I say that, well, I'm not supposed to say everything that I just said. Because you're supposed to pretend that the only problems that exist are on the other side of the aisle. And I have no problem with criticizing what I see uh, on the other side of the aisle, you know, in, in the other ideological camp. And I'm speaking very broadly because, of course, there, there are different factions in the Republican Party and the Democratic Party. But I think it's also important to be able to look through an objective lens at people right around you. And so I talked about the leadership of this party, lack thereof. And so now I want to talk about some other players. So I want to talk about the anti-vaxxers and the anti-maskers. I, I guess I guess you could phrase it like that. I have no use for a number of these people because, first of all, there's no humility whatsoever. There is no inclination to listen to other people. There is a self-righteousness that only they know the truth. And it's up to them to spread that truth, to help everyone else see the light, and blame it on the state in which I was born, Massachusetts, Although, interestingly, I think as far as I know, most of the people I know are, I can think of off the top of my head, associated with this anti-vax or anti-mask movement, they're, from, they're native, they're native uh, to the state. So it's, it's really kind of, uh, it, it blows my mind that there is such a, a lack of critical thinking that um, really kind of... Um, permeates <laughs> everything that, that this particular group does. Now, you know, I've said publicly that there are some people um, with whom I ag agree um, that I have time for because they have time for me and because they listen to other people and that at the end of the day, there's certain lines that they're probably not going to cross, right? Um. And so that, that, for me, counts for something. But the others, as I've said, I, I don't like the self-righteousness. I don't like the, well, thanks to us, this got done. It's like, well, if what you're doing is so wonderful, if what you're doing is so great— then you really don't have to tell everyone else that what you're doing is so great because other people will kind of know, right? 
I mean, that is if it's all that great. And, you know, I, I could see maybe some protests. But, I mean, this has become something that, I mean, for some people, some of those people, it's become a job. Going from house to house, meeting to meeting, uh, or just it's it's it it amounts to harassment. It does, and interestingly, several of these anti-vaxxers, you know, you know, several of these people who are anti-mask, if you challenge them, they don't like it. Immediately, they clam up, they become defensive, they project, they try to gaslight. <laughs> it's, it's really, it's quite something to see. So they demand transparency from others. They demand answers from others. They demand to be heard, to, to be listened to, to be respected. And yet they're not willing to do that for other people. They think that they should be accorded courtesies and respect, the same courtesies and respect that, yes, they're not willing to give to other people. And so I'm thinking of Michelle Effendi. Um, And so for those people who are uh, less uh, familiar with what's going on in Boston, maybe because they're in another part of the state and... You know, maybe, you know, what's happening here, uh, all of it is not getting to them, um, at least in, in, in extensive detail. Um, I mean, I think that a lot of people have heard about the protests, but they might not have heard, you know, about all the players. They might not know names. And then, of course, there might be people tuning in who are uh, completely unfamiliar with what's going on. Uh, in Massachusetts because they're outside of the state or even maybe well, well outside of it. Um, but yes, we've been having, um, there have been an, uh, a number of protests. And like I said, initially, I, I, could, I could see where one or two protests, maybe three, you know, maybe it was necessary but as I said, it's become, it's become a pastime. It's been parlayed into a job. And, and quite frankly, showing up at meetings, shouting people down, demanding to be heard, wagging fingers at others without <laughs> doing anything of substance to yourself, that, that's not a job. That's not in any way that someone might try to wrap it up and package that that's not a job. And so you basically have people running around, self-important, drunk off the attention that they're getting. And it's it's up to them if you, if you listen, if you do listen to them, it's up to them to show everyone else the way. And then, of course, you have Catherine Vitale, who is wholly derivative. Um, you know, I don't see a whole lot of original uh, activity coming from her. Um, I would say that the cowbells and, and the, 
the megaphone, that's all her. Uh, but a lot of other things that she has said and done, even the, this, just getting up and protesting, um, of course, not with the same frequency, but even just getting up and protesting, that's, you know, she's looking at what other people have done. And like Michelle, she thinks that she it's up to her to, to spread the truth. And it's like, well, if you want to spread the truth, then you might be interested in listening to the truth. Or at least, how, how shall I phrase it, listen to what other people have to say. That is, if you want to reach other people. Because most people don't like being lectured to, especially by someone who, Michelle, by her own omission, for years, didn't vote. And I can't, I can't even begin to think of a reason why someone is not voting. It's, it's a slap in the face. It's spitting on the memory of all those people who fought so that voting could be enjoyed, that could be a right enjoyed by every American citizen. As for Catherine, I don't know if she's always voted. So you want to spread the truth, but you're not willing to listen to what other people have to say. Michelle hasn't always voted. Don't know if Catherine has, has always voted. I'm not quite sure. I'm not so sure she always has. I'm not, quite, I'm not so sure that that's always been a regular thing with her. But they want to tell other people what to do. And they compare the discrimination that they have faced, that they are saying that they're facing, they're comparing it with uh, segregation, what black people in this country have endured. And I just, I find that so unbelievably insulting. Um, They're comparing... policies that I, I myself don't agree with, but I'm not going to then equate them with what the Nazis did to the Jews, my people. I mean, that, that shows such a profound lack of respect for other people and for history and for the memory of, of my brothers and sisters that perished in the Holocaust. And then Let's talk about this this idea about discrimination. And so you think, well, okay, so these people, all right, there may be some things that you can criticize, maybe some things that you can certainly frown upon. But at the end of the day, maybe their hearts are in the right place. And I would say no, not even. Again, while there are some people in this group that I'll make time for. There are others such as Michelle Effendi and Catherine Vitali. I won't do it. There's another, there's another person, David Rold. He, he was, what was he, a member of the Green Party? And so a few years ago, within the last three, four years, uh, they, he was... Uh, faced with um, calls for expulsion from the party because 
he heckled a fellow member of the Green Party for being Jewish. He he was making outrageous comments, comments that were seen as anti-Semitic, that were anti-Semitic. This is someone who refers to the Israeli government as a regime, the Zionist regime, and backs efforts to, I guess the the word of the day is dismantle, (laughs) dismantle Israel. You have other examples. There are other examples that I could cite, but I, I think that that's already... Uh, a fairly big one. And so you have people then who are crusaders of the truth, but their truth is supposed to be your truth. And if you don't agree, there's something wrong with you. And if you ask them for evidence, proof, arguments, If you ask them to acknowledge the work of other people, if you ask them questions about the analogies that they're making and their argument that they're being discriminated against, all all of this is met with a wall. And at present, these people are all associating with the political right. And so, again, we want to be a two-party state. It's a little hard to be a two-party state when you don't have people who are really offering an alternative. What you have are people who are playing to the cameras You have people who are putting on a series of performance pieces. And so someone said to me for the first time, I heard this expression for the first time the other day. He referred to uh, the entertainment wing of the Massachusetts Republican Party. And so I would have to put these people that I just named I would put them in the entertainment wing of the Massachusetts Republican Party. And there might be, you know, one or two of them who are not Republican or who are no longer Republican. So why don't I just make that kind of broader and say it's the entertainment wing of the political right in this state? Because they're more interested in the cameras, the name recognition. They're more interested in slapping themselves on the back for doing something, anything, and expecting other people to to follow suit than actually putting forth solutions, than actually putting forth the work that's involved in making change. And that's the thing. To make change, it, it takes work. It's not easy. And it's very thankless. And... <laughs> Often people don't notice. It's going to events. It's walking into a room where oh, you're not the center of it, right? It's it's holding signs. It's making phone calls. It's it's any number of things 
where you're lending a helping hand, where you're helping somebody else. So that together, you're working towards a mission. You're working towards a common goal. But I think the problem, in addition to the lack of gravitas with a lot of the political right or a number of people on the political right who are public, who are active and running around, is that, again, it's the idea is, is to make noise. The idea is to bring attention upon themselves. And that's where we're falling down. Because we need to put the focus on the issues. And we need to be able to offer solutions. And so I have decided that I want to look at different candidates. And at this point, well, I shouldn't even say at this point because I've always, you know, I look at the candidate. I am a committed Republican. I obviously want to promote Republican values. I want to vote Republican. Um, But if I see a strong Democratic candidate, I'm going to take a look at that candidate. What I'm trying to say is, is I can't vote for someone just because the person has an R after his or her name. While I would love to see balance, and that's what I've been working for, um, because I think it's a benefit to anybody, for everybody, I can't just blindly support people. I can't do that. Um, And so what I want, what I expect from anybody that stands up to run is the ability to identify. What does that mean? What is the problem? What is the issue? And when I say issue, it doesn't necessarily have to be something grave, but it could be just something that needs to be retooled, something that needs to be addressed before it becomes something that is, is, is serious. So identify and then articulate. So what does that mean? Well, you know, someone listening might say, well, gee, that's pretty self-explanatory just, you know, to be able to, to speak to the problem. Okay, well, what does that mean? Well, the, the idea is, is to be able to explain the problem, speak to it, but in terms that are accessible, that people can understand that can resonate with people. And then the last part is resolving, okay? So resolution. And then that, of course, is an answer. But a talking point is not an answer. You actually have to have a plan. And I'm tired of people standing up to run for office. I appreciate that you know, as long as you fulfill constitutional requirements, you can stand up and run, right? You know, for the most part. I, I mean, I, I understand that. I appreciate that. 
but it's not because you can, you should. You you can't just stand up and run if you don't know what the responsibilities of the office that you seek, what the responsibilities are. I mean, is that not common sense? Does that not make sense? You have to understand, and you have to understand how that office fits into the larger scheme of things. You have to understand, uh, you know, depending on what level of government it is, um, how you would interact with the other levels of government, with the different players. And one thing I'm sick to the back teeth of is when I hear people talk about, oh, what this office could be and, you know, vision And it's like, okay, but I need to know that you understand the office first. Don't talk to me about what the office could be if you don't understand what the office is. And so I've become, I didn't think it was possible, but I've become even more pragmatic, ruthlessly so, in my approach. And so for me, like I said, it's, identification, articulation, and resolution. That's what it should be. And I think that, you know, even though in this state, the Democrats, you know, they're, they far, far, far outnumber Republicans, um, I think that a lot of people are not prepared to let a Democratic candidate stand up and say, wow, Vote for me, change, big structural change. I mean, people are starting to ask questions. And I think a lot of that has come from COVID, right? Because, you know, you can run into some, you can, you know, run down to someone's neighborhood. You can visit a store. You can, uh, you know, make nice with different members of a particular community, But if someone's bottom line is suffering, none of that matters. And so I think that people have emerged from the pandemic. Uh, for those who want to argue that we're still in one, um, I mean, I think <laughs> I think that's debatable. But I think that um, I think right now we're we're trying to make our way through the aftermath. I don't think that. Um, that there are no health concerns, physical health concerns. Uh, there's nothing that we should be uh, thinking about or concerned with. But I think that, I think the pivot, I think there has been um, a subconscious pivot because it's just, we're at a stage where we need to think about mental health for sure, but also physical, you know, fiscal health. And people are picking up the pieces. And as I said, people are now thinking about their bottom line. They have been thinking about their bottom line because for a lot of people, um, their, their lives were greatly disrupted. And so now people are asking and they're expecting more from, the poli- from, from politicians, from elected officials, they want um, to be heard. They expect the phone 
to be answered when they call. They expect emails to be returned. And they're less forgiving if that's not what is happening. So I want to talk a little bit more about this lack of <laughs> this lack of choice that we have politically and socially in Massachusetts. Um, but I want to take a quick break first uh, and kind of let that all, uh, I don't know, sink in. <laughs> or if, <laughs> if you're on board and it all makes sense, then, uh, you know, this will be a chance to, I don't know, get up, stretch your legs or do whatever you, <laughs> you need to do. All right. So first, a quick break and we'll come back with some more chatting and talking. Okay. Hi, it's Olivia Munn with my shelter pets, Frankie and Chance, reminding you that when you adopt a shelter pet, you discover all the things that make them unique. Adopt pure love at the shelterpetproject.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council, the Humane Society of the United States, and Maddie's Fund. You hear that? This is my Boston accent. This is my Boston accent. Yeah, it is. Shh. This is my Boston accent. This is our Boston accent. Hear it for yourself, discover your own. This is Boston, and we are all inclusive. Hello, and welcome back to Bostonian Rap. My name is Rachel Meiselman. You are listening to me on WBCALP 102.9 FM Boston. This is Boston's community radio station. So I want to, I do want to, you know, continue talking a little bit more about the lack of the, 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 great imbalance, political, social imbalance uh, in this state and, and what, I'll, what I'll kind of say, because I want to, I, I do want to wrap this up and I do want to talk um, a little bit about another issue, a very, very, very big issue. And that's what I'll, that's what I'll actually close the show out with. And I'll talk about it more next week as well. Um, but to kind of close off on the, on this subject, um, what I'm going to say is that it's, it's going to take time. It's going to take time to build a two-party state. It's not going to happen overnight. Things never should have been allowed to <sighs> to get this this bad. Big areas of the state never should have been neglected as long as they have been. And, it, you know, quite frankly, um, you know, more people need to get involved. More people need to get involved. I will say to be, to be fair, that, you know, basic information about, you know, state committee, state committee meetings, ward, ward committees, uh, that information is not exactly accessible, advertised, and that's done very deliberately, and that needs to change too. Um, but the benefits of having a two-party state, I'm not promoting republicanism. That's not what I've done on today's show. I'm promoting a balance in our political landscape, and I think that that can happen 
with, again, having a two-party state. And as I started to say, the benefits is that you don't get the feeling, the impression that politicians are just moving (laughs) from one office to the next and setting up who's going to take over after he or she moves on. Um, that That's the feeling, the impression that people are getting. People feel like that even if they do vote, and I really, I'm always going to encourage people, that is something I'll encourage, that people vote. That's very important. And I'll encourage people to do it with information, right? Um, but I, I, I think that even people who do faithfully vote, God bless them, I think that they don't believe because we have this gross imbalance that their vote can really do a whole lot. They they know, they understand, even if they don't understand what needs to be done, it's like it's it's on it's a like an instinctive thing. They they know that other things need to happen too. So um I think that the process is going to be I'm not going to say a very long one, but it, it is going to take some time. Um, but I think it can be done. And I think that already in the short term, um, that big changes can be made. I do think it's possible. Um, you know, this is <laughs> this is obviously like getting people to vote and, and having a balance in our, you know, having a, a climate in which, you know, there's balance that, I mean, that's, that's a long, that's been a long-term goal for me. I don't know if you could say goal, project, whatever. Um, but it's been something that I have long wanted. So it's, it, <laughs> um, <laughs> we're going to see what happens. Um, I think it, it, it'll involve doing things differently. Um, but I, again, it's, it's it'll take a while, but I think in the short term, dividends, uh, respectable dividends, can be paid. I, I do know this that the road that we're on it's it's not sustainable, and and we do have people who are leaving the state because it's no longer livable, uh, the cost of living, and a number of other issues are impelling people to to either leave or their quality of life, it's just, it's not what it should be. It's nowhere near it should be. Um, so I'll get back to that subject. But what I want to, and in subsequent shows, but what I do want to focus the last few minutes of today's show on is anti-Semitism. And so um, BDS Boston has been promoting, it's been involved with this mapping project that, according to its members, basically outlines, enumerates people, places, some of them Jewish institutions, that are part of 
a Zionist infrastructure. And this Zionist infrastructure needs to be dismantled. Now, you know, there are some figures that are, you know, statewide, and there are um, some institutions that are not, again, right in Boston. So it's Boston, greater Boston area. And this is really, it's, it's alarming. Uh, Mayor Wu did not say a word, which is, it, it, there's just there are no words. Let me explain to you why this is such a big deal. I, I, I will say this, there are a number of political figures who have spoken up, and f- for that, elected officials, I am um, unbelievably grateful because I will be frank with you, when you are Jewish, you often feel or you can feel that instances of anti-Semitism, instances of bigotry that are directed toward you for being Jewish, you, you can feel that it's your battle to fight and yours alone. And what I will always maintain is that when one person in a community is at risk of attack or being othered, being ostracized, being isolated, it's everyone's business to stand up and fight and, and, and you know speak out and say, no, that's not going to happen. We're not going to stand for that. We're not going to allow that. And this is exactly what this project does, this mapping project. And the spokesman for the Israeli uh, Ministry of Foreign Affairs actually weighed in. I mean, that's how seriously this is being taken by the Israeli government, uh, you know, and, and different figures Actually, and, and, and just everyday people like me and you, well outside Massachusetts, it is serious because you're targeting people. You're targeting a community. You want to break up this community. You want to erase this community. When you want to disrupt the lives of a community and you... you you go right for their places of learning. When you, because Jewish institutions, you know, schools, uh, places of worship, when you're talking like that, when you're talking along these lines, your only goal, again, is to break up a community to weaken a community. And what's particularly insidious, what's particularly chilling about this mapping project that BDS Boston is involved with, is is promoting, 
they're trying to tie issues that elicit strong emotion to the Jewish people. So specifically evictions. Now, those who are less familiar um, with Boston, Massachusetts, the cost of living. Massachusetts is a very expensive state in which to live. I often say that, can't stress it enough. Boston is the third most expensive rental market in the nation. I often say that. That cannot be stressed enough. With COVID, that only exacerbated this issue. To tie evictions to the Jewish people, that this infrastructure as they see it, laying the response, uh, laying blame for evictions at the door of my community, that's wicked. That's evil. And then, of course, you have people who are trying to um, whip up, who have been trying to whip up anti-police sentiment, and they're also trying to tie this to the Jewish community. So what I want to say on a last quick note, and I'll talk about this more in the next show, it's time for people to wake up. In fact, there's no... There's no time left for people to wake up. People need to decide what they're going to say and do and and how they're going to to confront this issue because it is an issue. Anti-Semitism is very much an issue. The rate of incidents, anti-Semitic instances in Massachusetts is very high. And this is what I'll say. I'll leave this. This will be my last few words for today's show. Anti-Semitism does not just come from the right. It's time for my brothers and sisters to understand and to recognize and acknowledge that anti-Semitism can also be on the political left. Thank you so much for listening. My name is Rachel Meiselman. This is Bostonian Rap. The preceding commentary does not reflect the views of the staff and management of WBCA or the Boston Neighborhood Network. If you would like to express another opinion, you can address your comments to the Boston Neighborhood Network at 3025 Washington Street, Boston, Mass., 02119, attention WBCALP 102.9 FM. If you would like to arrange a time for your own commentary, call WBCA at 617-708-3241 or email us at radio at bnntv.org.